Welcome to another episode of Practically Political. I'm Dave Spencer. And I'm Carrie Sheffield. It's great to have you all. And we are thrilled today to have the chief strategist from No Labels, Ryan Clancy, with us. I wrote a piece recently raising concerns about No Labels in their third-party efforts in terms of the effects that it might have on the election and helping Trump win. So I thought, what better thing to do than have Ryan come in, which he's kindly agreed to do, to be on our show and to give us an idea of what's going on. So what I thought we'd do, Ryan, is if you can just explain to us about your strategy with your so-called unity ticket and what the idea is, how you plan to get the... uh, number of electoral votes, 270 that one needs to win, and uh, just any other comments you have, and then we'll get into questions. So great to have you here, Ryan. Welcome to welcome to the show. Yeah, well, thank you both for having me. And um, look, uh, both of you know the history of No Labels. I know you've followed us over the years. And, you know, for the first decade of our existence, and we got started in 2009, people knew us as the group that helped start the House Problem Solvers Caucus. Did a lot of great work in Congress to get bipartisan legislation over the finish line. And that's that's our reason for being. We're trying to speak for the common sense majority in this country to try to get Washington to govern. And to the extent anything good has happened in Washington these last couple of years, whether you're talking about the bipartisan infrastructure bill or the CHIPS Act, the semiconductor bill, very much has been our allies in the middle of that. And we're very proud of it. But as you noted at the top, Dave, we have been working for over the course of a year to get ballot access for 2024 uh, to potentially tee up the possibility to offer our ballot line for an independent unity ticket. Now, why would we be doing this? And the short answer is because we think it's so clearly something that the public wants. Uh, You look at poll after poll, over two thirds of people do not want the election. Both major parties are likely to give us. You look at the issues in the way we talk about them, and it is so obvious that these days most people in Washington or most candidates either don't talk about issues a lot of Americans care about, or they do talk about them, but not in the way most people think about them. And that's why we were up in New Hampshire earlier this week to release our our Common Sense Policy Book. So we have a long way to go. One of the stories that has definitely not got out there enough, despite our efforts to say it repeatedly every time we say this, uh, talk about this publicly, is we may never offer up a ticket. And I, I can't emphasize that enough. And that's what distinguishes us, distinguishes us in a lot of ways from uh, Cornell West or somebody else like that, who they're running no matter what. We are only going to offer up our ballot line if we think, one, um, the two major party candidate, candidates are weak enough in the view of the public, and two, if we think there's an outright chance for a ticket like this to win. In the absence of that, we will not put up a ticket. Um, And we don't have to make that decision for six to nine months from now until early next year. But the key point is you can't ever do that unless you do the work now to get ballot access, because that's the hard part. And that is often the stumbling block that prevents an alternative from emerging. So that's why we've been at this since early last year. And so Ryan, when you say uh, that, so I guess the contingency, if I'm hearing this correctly, is if it's a weak candidate on both sides, define that for us. Who is weak from the perspective of no labels that would justify taking this action? Sure. Well, it's not us. It's, re- it's what the public thinks. And it's what the, importantly, it's what the public thinks 
six to nine months from now based on some pretty rigorous polling we've done. So we have, the last big poll we did was of 26,000 registered voters. And as you know, I mean, that's a huge sample size. If you read a Wall Street Journal poll, that's one, 2,000 people. 59% of people said they'd be open to voting for a moderate independent ticket if the choices were Trump and Biden. Now, look, people saying they're open to voting for a ticket doesn't mean they're going to do it. But when you see the ceiling that high, that speaks to us the appetite people clearly have for something different uh, from, from what they're getting. So I don't think it should surprise people. The one thing almost everybody agrees on, it's not just our polling. Nobody wants the election we're probably getting. <laughs> it's, it's the one universal point of agreement. Why should it surprise people that there is therefore an unusually high degree of, of openness to something different? Well, I guess... My, my main question is, because you folks are talking about wanting to raise about $70 million, right, to pull this off. Is that correct? And yes. so you're going you're gonna to set up the infrastructure. And I guess where I struggle with this is, first of all, if you go through these motions and you get people to support giving all this money, and then you have everything set up and you say, oh, never mind, that kind of goes against human nature because you people sure. have given money, they, they want to get something for that money. And the second thing is, you've said that you will not do anything to risk another uh, Trump presidency. And that's what No Labels has said. But where where is the breaking point? What yep. criteria or what's your primary criterion that you're going to say, you know what, this is too much of a risk to help Donald Trump win? Because the reason I ask that is because, yes, you're right, over 70 percent of voters don't want either candidate but when you look at voters who don't like either candidate, Biden overwhelmingly wins those. And that's the risk in many people's eyes, is that you're going to yeah. pull more votes away. So can yep. you address those two issues? Sure. So that first question, Dave, is a really important one, because I'm sure that's other people have, which they think to themselves, look, you all are spending a lot of time and resources to get this ballot access, to do all this work that inertia could take over. And you talk yourself into doing this uh, six to nine months from now. Here's why that's not going to happen. Because remember, Dave, we have been at this for a decade. And fundamentally, we are in the business of movement building. We, we are trying to get a set of ideas that this common sense majority can finally start to rally around and finally start to push back on the loudest and angriest voices that dominate our politics. And so if six to nine months from now, We've done all this effort and we determine it's not worth the risk and or we don't see a path to victory. But we walk away with one, the ideas we know the public cares about, both one or uh, both party nominees feel like they have to pay attention to it. Our movement is bigger. We've got more influence. And finally, the common sense majority has a seat at the table. Then that's money well spent. And we're OK with that. But how do you know when to walk away. That's what I'm not hearing. And I haven't heard from anybody on your team. So the decision point, Dave, will come somewhere between Super Tuesday, which is when we're likely to know when, uh, and that's early March, when we're likely to know who the major party nominees are. And then our convention, which we're going to have in Dallas in mid-April 2024. Now, if there's a ticket, that convention will be the coming out party for that ticket, just like a party convention. If there is no ticket, we're still having the convention, but it'll be the place where all the governors and House and Senate members and other leaders who really align with our movement, and it'll just be a chance um, for no labels to shine a spotlight on the really critical work that we're doing. 
Well, so Ryan, those are very specific. But that's the when and the where. Where's the how? Yeah. Sorry. So how will we? So how will we decide? So there, there's two things, uh, Dave. That um, we I, I said we did a huge poll in December of 2022. We're going to be doing another big one after Labor Day, and there's going to be two things that we're looking at which is one, the viability of the ticket and people's openness to it. But number two, where do the votes come from? Now, our data is telling a different story than some of the other data you've seen out there that suggests um, a no labels ticket would inevitably pull disproportionately from Biden instead of Trump. When we did our poll, it showed a moderate independent pulling evenly from both sides. One of the um, comparisons that has been made which really has absolutely no relevance to what we're doing, is you will hear people say, but Ralph Nader ruined it for Al Gore in 2000, and Jill Stein ruined it for Hillary Clinton in 2016. And people are probably right about that. Here's what they're wrong about, though. A no-labels ticket would never look like that. Ralph Nader and Jill Stein were left-wing protest candidates. So the only votes they were ever going to pull were votes that otherwise would have went to the Democrat. And in fact, in this cycle, there's a candidate that looks like that. And his name is Cornell West. He is a, and his campaign manager is Jill Stein, by the way. So if he goes all the way, he gets on the ballot for the Green Party, he is going to pull votes that would otherwise go to the Democrat. One of the things we really looked closely at was, we'd argue the last time a independent ran to the vast middle of the electorate was Perot in 1992. And there was a bunch of exit polling that was done. NBC did the biggest that we could find. And they asked Perot voters, if Perot hadn't been in the race, who would you have voted for? 38% said Bush, 38% said Clinton, and 24% said I wouldn't have voted at all. And that's just about what our poll found. Now, Dave, one last point. Of course, in the end, the identity of the ticket matters more than anything else. So I'm sure we could imagine combinations, because remember, we're talking about a Democrat and a Republican on the ticket. Okay, who's on the top of the ticket? Um, what is the profile of that person on the, on, the, on the top of the ticket? I'm sure we can all imagine different combinations that would pull more from one side or the other, um, or pour, mo pour uh, both from the middle. That'll be an important consideration for us. Not only do we not want to run a or nominate a ticket that we don't think can win, we don't want to nominate a ticket that whatever votes they do get is built disproportionately by pulling votes out of one side. Well, and that, that was going to be my question. Uh, well, I wanted to ask about the who. So David asked the how and, and the why uh, and the what, but yeah. the, the who, which you kind of just touched on and not the group, the who, the musical group, but uh, I just I know you guys had an event with Joe Manchin recently, as well as John Huntsman. So those seem like two likely suspects, uh, yeah. if I'm reading your tea leaves correctly. But um, my question is, so not only the who, who else would it be? Who are you talking to or considering? But then also the nuts and bolts of motivating people, because get out the vote, the GOTV, that's huge. You're talking about actual bodies to to caucus or to, or I'm sorry, to like knock doors even, because I guess we're talking general here, but um, the actual bodies that you need for volunteers to motivate, to, to mobilize, you guys don't have that. And that's something that the two major parties have, have they're entrenched. Um, yeah. And then also just the brand loyalty that maybe in theory, 59% might say they're open, but when, a, you know, when the curtains closed, there's that instinctual brand 
loyalty with Coke or Pepsi, you know, Democrat or Republican, how are you going to overcome that? Yeah. Um, well, look, you're right, Carrie, that so if you look at the um, like the latest Gallup poll shows almost half the country, 49 percent self-identifying as independent. Now, some people will say, well, but in the end, they reliably tend to vote Democrat or Republican. And that's true. But that's in the context of a binary choice. If it's the major party Democrat and a Republican in a protest candidate, you know, isn't winning. then yeah, most people don't want to throw away their vote. That's that's not what we're talking about doing here. The other really key point is um, we're never going to run a campaign. So I like there's a NASA analogy I like to use, which is we are building the launching pad, which constitutes really ballot access, uh, which we're working to get in states across the country. We just got on the ballot in Arkansas yesterday, Utah last week. Uh, ideas. We put out our common sense policy booklet. You can find that up on our website. We know any ticket, of course, would need that. And then we're investing a lot in a citizen data file to sort of target and turn out the kinds of people that we know would have to get this kind of, um, uh, would, would support this kind of ticket. If we give our ballot line to a ticket, it'll, it'll be up for them to build the campaign. So to build the rocket ship itself. And they'd have seven, eight months to do that. The one point, Carrie, that is really interesting, um, look, GOTV is always really important. And you're right, both major parties don't only have a party apparatus, but they've got interest groups that will mobilize on their behalf. One of the things that has made that a little less important, still important, is um, the explosion in mail voting. Um, and it has made it much, much easier to use digital tools to just target and turn out people where they are. In the 2020 election, 40% of people voted by mail. 60% of people voted early, um, which grew exponentially from the election before. It is probably going to grow even more in this next election because a lot of states have made it easier to do it. Well, let me ask you this. Another, but no, I was going to. Another thing is that uh, unlike a lot of political parties and recipients, you folks don't have to reveal your donors. I just want to confirm. Right. In the era of dark money, a lot of people are really worried. Well, who's to say that, you know, someone like Clarence Thomas's sugar daddy, Harlan Crow, couldn't be right. and donors like that couldn't be bankrolling you. So, A, is it true that you're not going to reveal your donors? And if that's true, don't you think revealing them will give you guys more credibility and put a lot of and assuage a lot of people's concerns? Um, are you going to reveal them or not? No. And I'll tell you why. So we've never re revealed our donors because we're not a party. We're a 501c4. But this is different. It's different if you're, if you're making policy proposals and, and, as opposed to running a campaign where you're putting someone up for an election because you haven't been doing this for, for 10 right. years. This is the first time that you're doing this. So it isn't, but it isn't different. We're not putting somebody up for election. We're getting ballot access. But there's a very specific, I want to say, there's a very specific reason we don't do this. And I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell you why. Over 60 years ago, there was a landmark Supreme Court case with the NAACP. And the Supreme Court sided with the NAACP because the state of Alabama was trying to force them to disclose their donors. And they said, we don't want to do it because they're going to face intimidation. It is a violation of their privacy. And the Supreme Court agreed with them. Here's why this has relevance today. As you might have seen this week, there is a group that got stood up called Save Our Republic. Um, they've self-anointed themselves with that task, with the explicit task of stopping no labels. Dick Gephardt, former Democratic majority leader, is involved with it. 
He went on the air this week and said explicitly when they asked, well, well what is Save Our Republic going to do? He said, well, among other things, we're going to try to get no labels donors to walk away from them. So, no, we're not going to provide a punch list to people who want to destroy us so they can make it easier to go after them. It just doesn't make any sense. Carrie? Well, I mean, I, I think I agree with you, Dave, on the on the look. I work with a number of conservative groups who are 501c3s and c4s, and and I agree with donor privacy that is important. But if it walks like a duck, it quacks like a duck. How is it not a duck if you're actually putting up a candidate? To me, it seems like that's actually going beyond, and you're going into the FEC territory where you should be disclosing donors. So look, we've got a great legal team on this. We feel very comfortable about where we stand, and um, that we're not not only. Uh, adhering to the letter, but the spirit of all the, the laws uh, about being a C4. But look, there's something else underpinning this. And, and this is really something I want to address directly. I think there's two major criticisms of, their, of our effort. One of them is a good faith criticism. I think it's of the kind that Dave levies, which is goes something like this. It's nice that you're trying to put up this independent candidate, uh, but the unintended consequence of what you're doing is going to get Donald Trump elected. Uh, we don't agree with that, but that's you can have a good faith debate about that. There is a second argument that is out there from some of our opponents, which goes like this. You want to get Trump elected. This is, this, this is a whole secret effort to get Trump elected, and that just doesn't even pass the stupid test. I mean, we are co-chaired by Joe Lieberman, the 2000 Democratic Party nominee, Dr. Ben Chavis, who spent 60 years in Democratic politics and got his start in his career working for Martin Luther King. In full disclosure, I came up on the Democratic side of politics. I want nothing to do with ever letting Donald Trump near the White House again. We had a letter from Chavis and Lieberman that we released a month ago, the headline of which was, Donald Trump should never again be president. So when we start to see attacks like that, that's a bad faith attack that tells us that in the groups that are levying it, are not really interested in protecting democracy. They are interested in protecting their turf. A lot of what's coming at us is from people in Washington who have a vested interest in a paycheck that is attached to keeping more voices out of the mix. Well, I would say, first of all, Joe Lieberman was campaigning for John McCain in 2008, more recently than he was on the ticket. And, uh, you know, the, the, the other thing which I think is is uh, such a big issue here is when you're when you're getting people actually out to vote and you're here's the thing. Here's 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 a trivia question. Name the last non-Democrat or Republican that got even one electoral vote in a presidential election. You know who that George was? Wallace. Very uh, George Wallace. 1968. Okay. Yep. Ross Perot did not get it, and he ran as a segregationist. Ross Perot did not get a single electoral vote despite getting 19% of the vote. And the way the Electoral College is set up, you know, it makes it very, very hard if you're not a Democrat or Republican because 30, no matter how bad you are, 33% is, is going to vote for a Republican no matter what, 33% at least is going to vote for a Democrat. And so you guys, I believe, had this strategy where if I 
according correctly, you're going to get 286 electoral votes and you're going to do it by winning states all the way from Texas to Florida to Hawaii. I mean, this just seems like fantasy to me because it's one thing if you look at 1992, OK, those were considered two pretty moderate candidates, right? So people said, well, there's not that much of a difference between George Bush and H.W. Bush and Bill Clinton. Right. One's more conservative Democrat, one's more moderate Republican. In this election, where people think the, you know, if the other party is an existential threat to the country, you know, they're, they're less likely to waste their vote and say, uh, oh, well, it doesn't really matter. But again, unless it comes to the point where when both candidates don't like when people don't like both candidates, they break overwhelmingly for Biden. So this this electoral vote strategy, I mean, can you see how a lot of people think it's just fantasy? Uh, Dave, given um, the history of independent candidacies, of course, we we can understand their skepticism. But I think, you know, you go back to 92. The thing is, is that's why there's such a a bigger opening today than there was in 1992. In 92, when Perot ran, I think most people would say George Bush Sr., Bill Clinton, they were pretty center right, center left. Nobody was saying they're going to move to Canada if George Bush Sr. was, right? like they do today. Today, you see a much bigger gap between what people are otherwise offering. This is one of the things we really highlight in our common sense agenda. You can drive a Mack truck through. What most of the public wants on issues like immigration, energy and climate, uh, even some of the social issues like abortion and where the common sense majority is, it offers a real opportunity for somebody to come along and to create some very strong contrast from what the major party nominees are offering. So, I mean, Dave, one of the things, because I know you've been a longtime supporter of ours, and I, and I, I respect people's reservations about this. The one thing I would ask for people who are hesitant is to say, do we not at least deserve a better debate than we're having and we're almost certainly going to get? And our view is if you don't have another voice in the process, then we know what the terms of of, of debate are going to be. One side will set the terms of debate as vote for us or the MAGA fascists are taking over. And the other side will set it up as vote for us, or the socialists are going to turn us into Venezuela. That is where we're headed for the next 16 months, unless another voice comes in and says, you know what, 60% of the country does not want any part of this. We don't want a civil war, even though there's people on both sides who talk very loosely about this kind of nonsense. They'd actually like a debate on the issues that matter. And our view is that unless we have another voice in the process, we're not going to get that debate. We're going to have another hate and fear election instead of one that actually gets at issues people care about. Well, Ryan, there, therein lies my question. And, and thank you for your time and for coming in and explaining all this. It's fascinating. But you're talking about substantive issues. We can't even do that now. I mean, how, how if you put up one of these, you know, substantive, wonky or more polite or more civil middle of the road candidate ticket, how in the world are they going to get any oxygen when, you know, in one case, you've got cocaine in the White House, you have the president's son uh, getting plea deals for felonies that would have put somebody else in jail. Uh, You have like, it's a, it's a circus on the left. You have uh, Congresswoman claiming that Israel's a racist state. I mean, you have extreme 
voices and a circus on the left. And then you have on the right, you have this, you know, continued indictment situation that's sucking oxygen out of the newsroom, which seems no sort of shortage of where that's going to continue going between now and the next 16 months. Um, how, how could what you're describing penetrate through that news cycle? Yeah, I mean, Carrie, it's you know better than, than, than anybody who's been working in the media business for a long time that all the incentives are wrong. Um, and the people who say the worst things and sometimes are the worst people get all the attention. Um, but we know that there's such an appetite for something different out there. Yeah, you're right. If you turn on Fox News or MSNBC every night, it's a bunch of people raging at one another. But like 1% of Americans on their it, Fox's top rated show are watching that. And most Americans aren't on Twitter. And so our, our point is that what's on Fox and MSNBC at eight o'clock, what's trending on Twitter most days is not what most people think. And that if there was a viable alternative out there, we think this is finally the moment people would say, you know what? I could give that a look, or at least they could know that there is another option out there. And maybe they can start to hold one or both parties account um, for not speaking to the kind of ideas that we're putting out that we know the public can get behind. Well, again, I think that, you know, people, 60% of people say uh, almost in the abstract that they'd be open to someone else. But when, as Carrie alluded to, when they get in the booth, I think uh, given how tribal things are, I think they're going to pull the lever for their side. And uh, I just think there's a, this is one election, even a 5% chance of Donald Trump becoming president again is, is too high of a chance. And yes, I think the Biden, and I've said this on the show many times, as Kerry knows, uh, I implored Biden not to run. I think it's a terrible mistake. And uh, I think that there are lots of other candidates. We would be good to have a governor because governors make better presidents. But again, this is not the way to go to go about it. And I really think, again, there's so much. It's going to be 100,000 votes probably in five states that are going to decide the election. So there's really no margin for error. And again, if you're going to build a, a third party or anything, you know, start from the ground up, start getting some people elected to legislatures or to Congress and then build build a real movement. You don't just start at the top by inter- interjecting yourself into a, a crucial campaign with a, a ticket that consists of one person from each party. Again, I just it just seems a little a little unrealistic to me. Well, Dave, look, all of your concerns, as I said, we take seriously and we aren't trying to build a, a, a new party. I mean, as you know, we've been working for a long time to make the two-party system work. Um, what we're doing is planning for the possibility both major parties could just put forward nominees most Americans don't want any part of. Um, but when we get to that moment, I, I can assure you, we are going to be very judicious. We are not going to be reckless. Um, and we're not putting up a ticket unless we think it's got a real shot. Uh, and until then... Our, our candidate is really going to be the ideas that we put forth in our common sense policy booklet. We're going to spend a lot of time pushing those out there and, and making sure they get some attention. Well, real, real quick, let me just drill down on a policy. You've talked about immigration. So here's one just uh, randomly. How would you secure the border and also clear a path to citizenship for the dreamers, which about 85 percent of America thinks should happen? 
There's what's your policy specifically? Uh, well, so, so what's really interesting, Dave, is that that's what we found in our polling. Um, and so we actually didn't just ask about polling in isolation. One of the things we asked specifically is we said um, if there were a compromise with um, that entailed significant investments in border security, along with a path to citizenship for the dreamers, would you get behind it? And 80% said yes. So the question becomes, well, why can't we have that? And here's why. Because both members of Congress, as well as the presidential candidates, they can only offer the public half of that. Because if I'm a Republican who says I'm for anything but deporting everybody, my base will say I'm for amnesty. And I, if I'm a Democrat who is for any kind of border security, they're going to say, well, I want to put kids in cages. And that's how we end up solving nothing, because that's how we talk about every issue. One of the virtues of this effort we're putting forth is we don't have to care about what the 10 percent of the fringe on each side thinks. We're just going straight to the people and asking them what they think about the key issues. Carrie, you have the last question. Well, I, I think uh, we got to wrap because uh, we've taken a lot of Ryan's time. I think he's got another meeting right now. But uh, I'd love to have you come back, Ryan. I guess my question is, will you come back? We would love to. Uh, we're going to be doing a lot of polling uh, in the fall. And um, when we have the new results, I think it'll give us a lot more to talk about. So I'd love to join you. That would be good because this is obviously going to be an ongoing process. And I think you all have a chance to really prove your model. And if you're going to have the discipline and the ability to to uh, not run someone, if you feel that it's going to if, if it's going to help Trump. But unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. I could sit here and talk about this for hours. It's such an important and fascinating topic. But Ryan, thank you so much for coming on the show. We will definitely have you back. And uh, we really appreciate your time. And um, again, I think a lot of the work that you folks are doing is good. And that's why I've, I've been a supporter. I think we just disagree on this particular one. But um, I certainly wish you folks uh, well in your, in your other endeavors. And thanks again. Well, thank you so much for having me. Well, that's a wrap for today. Thanks so much for joining us on Practically Political. And we'll see you again next time. Yeah.